0: do it for the culture
1: do it for the culture do it for the culture i gotta grind. i gotta shine it's for the culture hey but i'm not. i gotta shine
0: so my started as a seed that grew inside of mama learned our victories and everything that we conquer the creativity to switch the gears like karma now wear our history like it's a badge on us. to the music to teach from students we made this we do. This our greatness is proven. And we gon' level up more until our excellence is evident. Listen up, ladies gentlemen, everyone with some melanin, culture. Do it for the culture. Do it for the culture. Do it for
1: the culture. For the culture. I gotta got it. I gotta show it. It's my time. It's my time. I gotta show it to 'em.
0: Yo, what's going on? This is For the Culture Podcast. I am your host, Tay Jordan, here with episode two. I have a very, very special guest here joint with me today. Well, joined with me remotely, I should say. Uh, Ms. Shaina Will, uh, she is a sports business professional with over a decade of experience. She's worked with the likes of ESPN, the Brooklyn Nets, um, with experience in branding, sponsorships. Um, I'm really excited to have her as a guest here today. Um, But most of all, what China has did has created a very influential and impactful organization, Minorities in Sports. uh, It started off as a uh, group chat, which has since blossomed today uh, with over 750 members, possibly may be over 1,000 members at this point, Um, uh, multiple college chapters. It's essentially a networking digital hub. Uh, Over 80% of its members, its job-seeking members, has secured employment or been invited to interviews. Um, With that being said, she's sort of, uh, the organization is what we would call the plug for real. Uh, With no further ado, uh, Ms. Shina Will, welcome to For the Culture Podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us. Um, So yeah, so I'm in D.C. Obviously, this is weird times. It's May 2020. We are quarantined. But, uh, you know, I still go for my runs and everything. But I feel like New York, I know you're in New York. That's a little something different. Do you even risk it? Do you go outside? What's it like for you right now?
2: (laughs) I honestly just go to the supermarket and to walk my dog. And that's it. So I'm not like, I haven't left Harlem since like March 6th. Um, So I'm pretty much just in the house, not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, wow, this is just weird times. Who even saw this coming? Like, uh, it has just put the whole, changed lives for us all, all over town. Um, So, yeah, so tell me a little bit about your background. What got you into sports? What inspired a career in sports? And, of course, we got to get into minorities in sports. But first, just give us a background of Shina's background.
2: Yeah, so I um, actually started in sports, as you said, about like 12 years ago now. Um, I wanted to be a sports psychiatrist at first, and then I realized I wasn't trying to be in school that long. So I decided to, um, you know, explore other avenues. So I ended up taking an internship at a sports agency out in Chicago. And um, that was pretty much the beginning of my sports journey. So, Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it ever since I've really found an interest in like marketing and sales and sponsorships. So I kind of just stuck with that over the years. But yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Okay, cool, cool, cool. How was your experience over at the sports agency?
2: It was cool. I mean, um, you know, I was an intern. So that was like my first professional experience within the sports space. Um, and, you know, coming out of college at, I think I was like 22, 23 at the time, it was amazing. You know, he was one the agent that I interned for was one of the top five agents in the country. Wow. So, um, you know, to have that experience, like I felt really lucky and blessed to be able to have that experience, um, but, it, you know, it was just your normal run-in-the-mill internship and just like for most people who start in sports, you know that first job, I wasn't going anywhere special. I wasn't doing anything crazy um, mm-hmm. at the time, but just to be able to be in that space and learn from directly from like one of the heavy hitters in the in the industry was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'm sure that had to be a heck of an experience for sure.
2: so are you I know you live in New York currently. Is that where you're from? Are you from uptown? I am not from uptown. I'm from Queens. okay. Uh, but yeah, I am from New York, born and raised in Queens, uh, and moved out here to Harlem when uh, I started grad school at Columbia. And I was also working at ESPN, so at the time, so that's what made me move to the oh, city.
0: Nice, nice, nice. I Actually, didn't live too far from Queens. I lived in East New York. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was in Queens quite a bit. I actually miss New York.
2: You're but, all right. Um, going on over here you good yeah <laughs> yeah at least not right now not right now right. but um okay so yeah so tell me about this
0: phenomenal organization like you just uh doing great things and creating such a, a a great networking opportunity and tool for those that aspire to be in the business or getting into the business tell me a little bit about minorities in sports as an organization
2: um it started about four years ago as a group chat. I really, I was in another group chat and a lot of the conversations were going over to sports. So I I just like started a sports group chat so we could stop like cannibalizing the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then through that, I started adding like a few of my colleagues and friends that I started out in the sports industry with. So some who worked with me at ESPN, a few others, like some college friends who worked in sports. Um, But most of us were like, really just kind of beginning our career and getting in the niche of things. So through that, um, the group chat actually just kept growing and it grew very quickly, you know, over the four years to now, I think in the actual group chat, we have over 800 people. um, And the network overall, um, about or a little over a thousand
0: wow wow that's amazing and steady growing is you're just doing great mm-hmm. things over there what's what is what did it start at in terms of what's the goal behind minority in sports
2: yeah, it's interesting because i didn't start it as like to be this revolutionary you know black safe space like i started it to be able to stay connected to my friends Mm -hmm. Uh, a space where we could help each other out, just like our white counterparts did. Um, And, um, you know, to also have a safe space. And it's pretty much what the group's mission has turned into, Mm -hmm. is to have just, like, to pretty much be a large ERG, so a large employee resource group, if you will, just of the whole industry where people could connect, Um, you know, be the plug for the next person, because a lot of us don't have dads who play golf with the president of a league. So, um, you know, to be that resource and to also be that safe space, which to me is probably the most important part of the group chat. Mm is to be able to have a space where people feel comfortable to be able to talk and discuss and, and really um, give an honest view about what their experience is like in the industry.
0: That's important, for sure, for sure. For So from your experience, obviously, we know with these big corporate entities, it's not many people of color, um, but uh, even in terms of being what some would call a double minority with being both a, a female and also being a black woman. Right. Um, Do you feel as though, tell us a little bit as far as your journey, do you feel as though your experience has been uh, like a double difficulty? Um, If you could just uh, enlighten us a bit about what your experience in this male-dominated industry, such as sports, the sports business particularly, what has that been like?
2: Yeah, the the interesting point is I haven't really experienced too much from a gender side. Um, I think... For the most part, like you're always going to get those people who kind of come for you and check your sports knowledge. For that, I saw that more outside of the industry. Um, mm. you know, just random dudes learning that I work in sports and then wanting to kind of question my sports knowledge. That's Facebook uh, analyst, huh? I call them the barbershop analyst. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden turn into like a Stephen A. Smith in the barbershop. And then Right they just be so loud and wrong. Um, I think in the workplace, it was pretty much, um, and I wouldn't even just say this from a sports perspective. I think this is just something across industries. You know, there's just a lot of implicit bias that I saw or have experienced and definitely a lot of microaggressions. Mm. Uh, So definitely nothing for the most part, like super overt, but definitely a lot of making you kind of question why you're there, um, your intelligence and things like that.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So, um, I went, so you went to Columbia. I went to Ohio university for undergrad. So, um, we're not new to oh, P- Penn
2: State for undergrad. Columbia oh, undergrad.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. So Penn State, okay. Drop okay. a turn up. So, you know, you're not no stranger to PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Not at all. So, with that being said, and, you know, coming from your background, coming from inner city, New York City, what do you, do you feel as though there's this concept, you know, obviously, we've probably all been heard of the concept of code switching. Uh, Do you feel as though it's a real thing? And do you think that... uh, minorities trying to get into and not just sports it could be any business you know the more we try to you know elevate do you feel as though it's a real pressure and have you ever felt pressured to do this concept of code switching whatever that is
2: not at school um especially not at undergrad penn state has a lot of black students mm-hmm. um, it's just such a big school so you know the amount of black students that we had was monumental I mean it's still like obviously way more white students than black right. students we were able to have like our a little um you know our little community okay so are you Greek because, no I'm not Greek okay um but I think also because I was so young too in undergrad I didn't Really feel the need to code switch. I was just like, y'all yeah, gonna get what y'all get. Like, <laughs> amen. It is what it is. Like, I'm a black girl. I'm a black West Indian girl from New York. Like, Facts. that's what y'all gonna get in Central Pennsylvania. Um, grad school was a little bit different because I was working full time at the okay. time, and um, the program that I was in was basically like a professional program. So you needed to be working full time in mm-hmm. order in the program. Um, so. I think there was a little bit more of a code switch, uh, definitely because I was working at ESPN at the time too, and ESPN is a little bit more conservative. Um, So definitely, you know, and and being the only Black person on my team, um, you know, you have to make sure that you fit in, uh, and that you know people are comfortable. And and it sucks that those are things that we had to think about, but you know, Mm -hmm. things that—that's the reality, right? Reality that all of us deal with.
0: So you touched a little bit about, you know, implicit biases and microaggressions in the workplace, um, you know, obviously not being strangers to corporate America. What do you think us as Black people can do to, you know, you never want to be seen as the angry Black woman or anything like that, but to combat or I should say maybe speak up when it's necessary to speak up. How do you combat those things in the, in the, in the workplace?
2: yeah I think it definitely took me a long time to figure this out, and this is something that I'm still working on mm.
1: um,
2: but I think one of the biggest things is to make sure you have your argument down pat and mm. your stats together, so like you know if somebody is questioning your intelligence or um questioning your work, like being able to back it up so being able to back up what you say, um not putting emotion into it so you know, I'm somebody who, again, like I'm a West Indian girl from New York. Like that stereotype alone is like very aggressive, very emotional, very loud. So, you know, being able to check that and know that you're coming from, you know, a place that, you know, like standing, excuse my language, but standing your shit, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like, if someone is questioning something that you're doing, but you know you did it right, like being able to back that up. Like, this is why I did this. Point mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. So. Got you.
0: It's interesting. So with that being said, we, we are obviously aware of the stereotypes coming into it. Do you feel as though we have to be cognizant of, you know, how we're going to be perceived, or do you just think that you know, like I'm gonna have this take it or leave it attitude? You know, what you see is what you get. Do you feel as though we sometimes, when we try to get ahead professionally, that every black person is gonna come at point in time where they have to make a decision in their professional life? Is am I gonna lose, swallow some of myself, lose some of myself, bite my tongue to you know live to fight another day? Do I gotta pick and choose my battles? What's your, what's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I definitely think it's one of, it's more of a pick and choose your battle because we all know the reality of the situation. Um, and as much as I would love to say, like, uh, can I curse on here? Oh, yeah. Just
0: do your thing. Just for the culture, girl.
2: <laughs> I was like, you know, as much as I would like to say, just fuck it, you know, be yourself and take it or leave it. Like, y'all gonna get who you're gonna get. Uh-huh. At the end of the day, like, stuff like that can hinder you.
1: Mm.
2: moving ahead especially if you're in a more traditional company that's you know been around for a longer time and the powers that be are a little bit more on the traditional side so mm-hmm. i think it's more of like a choose your battles read the room mm-hmm. and more so you know get your inner joanne the scammer and lo- learn how to play the game so <laughs> it's like you know if you are in a space that you know that you can 100% be yourself and mm-hmm. stick in that? Absolutely, do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in a more traditional space, like you know, you gotta learn how to play the game.
0: That's that's and a
2: fact. Continue to move, and until you're in a position where you can change the game.
0: Hashtag learn how to play the game. That's that is important. That's real. So as a black woman, mm-hmm. we know how important our hair is. Let's talk about hair or ethnic hair in the workplace, do you ever feel the need to like, you know, well, you know, I'm a, because I remember when I was going out for a job for ESPN and it was an anchor mm-hmm. that I really looked up to, a black anchor, and she kind of like made me just feel so bad. She was like, you know, because i don't get me wrong, I'm dark-skinned. I, 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 sometimes I rock a mm-hmm. short haircut. And she told me I need to per- consider getting a weave. Now, don't get me wrong, I wear weave sometimes, but like, don't tell me to wear weave. You know what okay. I'm saying? Do you feel as though as a black woman? I do
2: like know who woman? that is, because there was only but so many black female anchors at ESPN. You might have to tell me on the side. Ah, I got this. you, I got you, I got
0: you. <laughs>
2: um, I mean, I personally am at the point where I don't care anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I, but I'm also 12 years in the game. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and it's also illegal now. So, <laughs> But I, uh, you know, I got to a point where I was just like, I'm not about to be... You know, wasting time and money on getting my hair straightened or doing a blowout just for a hour long interview,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and when I'm gonna wear my hair curly at work anyway, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like to me, unless I already have my hair straight because I feel like having it straight, mm-hmm. or unless um, I am you know, have my hair a certain way, I'm gonna wear my hair however I have it. So I've definitely gone on interviews, like maybe a few days before I went on vacation and I went to the interview with twists in my hair. Like I'm not about to take out these twists Mm -hmm. just to come in for this interview. And then, or like, you know, I just got back from a vacation and whatever the case may be, like I'm not about to take out twists just for the
0: like? Did you feel like your white peers, your colleagues, received you differently that day, like, or took notice, or maybe even said a snarky comment or something?
2: Yeah, not anymore. Definitely earlier on in my career. i um, definitely one of the companies that I've worked at. Mm. In the beginning, We won't name them, but um, definitely had comments when I had come in with braids, like, you know, my white counterparts asking me, how do you wash that? Do you wash it with like, wow, blackout? straight like that? Yeah, like, why does it look plastic? Because, you know, like, especially black back in the days, the braids used to look real shiny. Uh-huh. Um, you know, before we started getting the k- kinky texture and all that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that old school connect line used to look real shiny sometimes, and you got them braids. Um, but, you know, being asked, like, you know, kind of looks like plastic why does it look like that or um the audacity you watch that that with bar soap um you know different questions like that or uh definitely like if I straighten my hair because they don't understand shrinkage so it's like oh yeah my hair is actually really long in real life and it's fine and you're like oh how did you get your hair like that how did it how does it straight like you know why is it so long? Is that a weave? You know wow. things like that.
0: Maybe bold, um, though. Dancy like that, people was audacious way before Trump, obviously. Like people oh, just absolutely
2: now I don't get it as as much. I think everybody is pretty much aware mm-hmm. of those kinds of instances. So um, I mean, like I've been working for myself since August, but mm-hmm. you know, even at my last company, like if I came in with straight Here, it wasn't like, wow, oh my God, look at your hair. It it would just be like any other comment. If my hair was anything other than curly, because I wore my hair curly most of the time, like ninety percent of the time that I was there. So obviously any other hairstyle, it would be like, oh you're this is cute. Like this is such a this is a new look for you. So hmm. it wasn't bad. It was just like normal that like anyone would get. So um, I just want
0: to highlight you've been working for yourself the past few years. Hashtag
2: ownership well, since August, <laughs> not you know. Okay. But um, yeah. I mean, I it's cool, but I live in New York, so I I won't get excited about that until I am at a space where I have disposable income. So mm-hmm.
0: you're on your way. The fact that you took the steps, you know, it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. So let me ask you, in terms of, but going back to the workplace, do you feel as though it's essential to have allies? for us as a people to have allies to get ahead that people that don't look like us. Cause it's one thing for us to, you know, you know, galvanize together on a on a, a unified front and try to make change. But how important is it to have people outside of the culture and people that don't look like us as an ally to help us get ahead as well? And make some real real change. Um, it
2: depends though, because it depends on what the motives of that ally is, and mm-hmm. if they truly understand there's an ally, so I've definitely had you know a few coworkers that, and nef, and nef, uh, a few coworkers and classmates mm-hmm.
1: um,
2: who have been really, really awesome allies and to me, what made them the best ally was the fact that you know they realized their privilege uh, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they were able to use that when needed they weren't just like oh like we're cool and we're on the same
0: i see they gotta be authentic
2: right or and it's not it's not even just authentic because you have people who are authentic but they have to be aware mm-hmm. so it's like you know there's def i've had a lot of white coworkers that i was super cool with mm-hmm. and we're still friends to this day but i wouldn't necessarily call them allies because To me, an ally is someone who recognizes their privilege and then uses their privilege for the greater good. So, you know, who doesn't necessarily see us, like they see us on the same level, but they understand that society doesn't see us on the same level and they understand that it's not an equal playing field. So, you know, when it comes time to have your back in a situation, they are the ones who speak up Mm -hmm. uh, to, to vouch for you when needed. So to that's me, ally, and I've definitely had like a few of those who who were really good that I'm really so good friends with today. Um, so yeah,
0: that's good. You know, I know that you said earlier, like uh, the the organization didn't even initially start off as what was you know uh, any things supposed to be revolutionary or anything like that. But what is it's blossomed to, I just think is so essential and important because I think for one, it acknowledges that you know, an issue was there. Uh, We have a lack of access type of issue, and I think that your organization is so important because it's sort of a conduit or a connector. Um, Getting into the lack of access, though, um, I wanted to get into the business of sports. So when you look at guys, okay, traditionally, like obviously the last dance is going on right now, and it's really just making us look into, you know, it's put into perspective of how far sports has come. From a business standpoint, when you look at guys like, you know, let's take LeBron James. Um, Obviously, a lot of people are familiar with his business acumen, um, but more so the people that he's empowered that look like him that's, you know, uh, in charge of his business affairs. How important is it for athletes in particular to take more of a um, active instead of a pedestrian approach to their business affairs?
2: Um, I think the biggest thing, and I've heard this early on in my career, is that, you know, once you sign that contract that mm-hmm. takes you from amateur to professional,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, you have to look at yourself as a business and treat mm-hmm. yourself as a business. So, not necessarily just like, you know, I'm going to put my homeboys on just to put my homeboys on, but like, mm-hmm. you know, your circle need to have a purpose they need to have experience mm-hmm. um, which is important because it's like yeah we want to help out the homies we want to help out everyone but if you know your homegirl your homeboy doesn't know what they're doing that yeah. definitely hinder you in the right. future you can end up signing like a re- really shitty deal or put yourself in a position that um, could be detrimental to your career so um, I think, like, really treating yourself as a business, ensuring that everybody in your circle has a, an active purpose, um, is learning what they need to learn. And, you know, I don't always subscribe to, you know, we just got to do it all on our own and, mm-hmm. you know because we got it, like, yeah, we got it, but sometimes it's smart to, like, kind of infiltrate the system a little bit, learn everything, kind of take the, what you learn, and then do your own shit, so, mm-hmm.
1: you
2: know, just, that's think, real. And if you think about LeBron, too, like, you know, that's pretty much what his team did, they didn't come out the gate, like, oh, we know how to be super agents, we know how mm-hmm. to, they learned the game, they learned the game, like, they, you know, did their internships, they did those first jobs at you know comp- major companies or specific companies and then kind of came out of that knowing the game learning the game from some of the best or at least some of the more most successful people in the industry and then took that and then did their own thing.
0: Right. No, that's that's real. That's good. All right. So I mean we are in year 2020 and it's we still in a year of a lot of first F- first woman this first black this um so we just recently had the first female coach in the NFL. Um, we just had the, the Chicago Bulls just hired their first black general manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so being that it's 2020 and we still haven't, like, when you look at the the product on the court in the field, is predominantly black. The NBA is 78% black. But when it comes to, you know, from coaching positions to leadership, you know, I mean, we will be, secretaries nothing against secretaries nothing against hr or nothing like that but when it comes to you know operations
2: alright HR be in the bag like <laughs> right like it try to be to help don't don't sleep on hr no of course hr is the is the is, is the flag. right they out here getting the bag <laughs> like, and they the floodgates they and, the gatekeepers right and the ones who are in charge normally don't look like us but that's a different story um, facts
0: that's true so, but being that it's 2020 and we still having so many firsts, do you feel as though things, it shows that things, well, hey, you know, things are changing or do is, is it just that, nah, things really ain't changing. We still having, a, we just having a little bit tokens here and there.
2: Um, I wouldn't say we have tokens. I think things are slowly changing, mm-hmm. um, but there's still a long way to go. So. Mm-hmm you know, because I I think it also gets really nuanced. Because when you think about, you know, certain roles that you see a lot of us in, of course, it's like, you're going to see a lot of us in marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to see things kind of shift in some, quote unquote, non-traditional fields. So start seeing more people who look like us and like those analytic fields, those Mm -hmm. executive level. um, Because that's another thing too, like, if you are breaking it down even by age or level at those entry-level positions, like we're, we're kind of good. Like we're getting in the door, but as you get to the higher, more senior positions, you're not seeing um, people who look like us. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I would love to see more of us in executive level positions, uh, right? senior executives, suite level positions Mm -hmm. um you know legal
0: facts (laughs) no that's real and you know what not even just getting into the position but it's like you know um getting in the position and staying i feel as though um like it's just it's it's we have zero margin of error you know if we mess up one job or we get pre- prematurely fired nine times out of 10. I mean, you got so many great coaches that's, you know, did a good job and for whatever reason lost their job. And, you know, their right kind of parts get opportunities to coach again or get other jobs. But you got guys like Mark Jackson of the NBA. He's a commentator now and hasn't
2: got another look. So just I a mean, margin. Of, on the corporate side too, mm-hmm. you know, um, people who like you said prematurely let get let go or mm-hmm. you know we don't have the opportunity to fuck up like some of our white counterparts do
1: yeah
0: yeah that's that's real and that's it's unfortunate um it's and it's so bad with diversity in terms of these professionals leagues. you got a league like the nfl i'm not sure if you're familiar are you familiar with the rooney rule yeah so What's your thoughts on that? So for those that's not familiar with the Rooney rule, it's basically a a rule that uh, the NFL put in place that requires teams to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching jobs. So I don't want to say it's like a for show or, you know, for quota. Who knows? I mean, I do know that there's 32 football teams and only seven black head coaches. Um, So they obviously have – uh, a diversity issue do you feel as though the Rooney rule it being implemented it, do you think it's effective or do you think it need to be implemented in other leagues to have diversity issues
2: yeah I think I, I mean like when it comes down to it when you think about the Rooney rule and all of that it's just more so like how effective is it mm-hmm. so it's um it's one thing to get, you know, in the door for an interview. It's another thing to get hired. And like you said, it's another thing to stay on and to stay hired.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so I would love to see, like, the stats of that, like, out of how many Black potential coaches that w- have been interviewed, how got many got a job.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and those who have gotten jobs, In the past, like since that rule has started, how long on average do they stay in head coaching positions? Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing too. It's like it's more than just like getting people the interview. It's more so like who's actually getting hired, and it's the same on the corporate side. Like the corporate side, a lot of these companies do have quotas that they need to hit,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: uh, especially as diversity and inclusion starts to become more of An important issue Um, in these companies you know a lot of these HR departments are starting to see quote quotas that they have to hit from senior leadership it's like listen we need to get this many people of color in the door we need to get like Mm -hmm. this percentage of women in the door or whoever Um, but again like y'all could be interviewing people all day but how many people are actually getting hired how many people are Staying in their roles um, mm-hmm. past year, how many people are lasting a year? How many people are getting promoted? So, once they get in those roles, are they sitting, especially as you get more senior? Like, you know, this a black person gets hired, are they sitting in the director level role for 10 years, mm-hmm. as opposed to on average their white counterparts who may be in a director level role for three to four years and mm-hmm. get promoted to senior director or VP?
0: And here we're going to take a quick break. This is for the Culture Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore for the Culture. Again, that's at underscore the number four, T H E Culture with a K. And also make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Mm. And what's interesting, the numbers just doesn't reflect the accessible and available talent of color. Like it's not a shortage of talented. Intelligent black individuals that's eligible and more than capable of doing these jobs
1: right
0: um, and that's every sector um okay, switching things up a little bit, I wanted to talk about this whole concept of shut up and dribble mm-hmm. uh now that saying was made famous by fox commentator um Laura Ingram. I think she was talking about LeBron James when he had criticized uh forty five mm-hmm. <laughs> so. But I mean, that just speaks to a bigger a, a, a bigger deal in terms of how a lot of people perceive athletes and we feel mm-hmm. as though they really should be seen and not heard in terms of, you know, just go out and perform, is shut up and dribble. She meant exactly what she said.
1: She, absolutely.
2: Huh? I said she absolutely did. Yeah, so what?
0: What? And that's why I I love people like LeBron so much, and just watching this last dance and seeing how not to compare LeBron to Jordan, but you know you got an athlete that wanted to be more on the outs on a on a, on a back end and just you know really shut up and dribble. He was there to play basketball. He made it clear that he's not a politician. He's not about to do that, which you know he's fine. He's entitled to. Everybody different.
2: But Yeah, I have thoughts on that too. Like. um I will say, one, times were definitely different back then, so mm-hmm. it was a little bit harder, especially as an athlete, um, to be more vocal. We have to remember that social media- was- Ali
0: did it before Jordan came along, though.
2: Yeah, he did, but we have to also remember what Ali went through, That's right. and we also have to remember that as much as people, especially white people, love him now, like, People hated him back then. Like his whole image had changed since then and and now people remember him as this like amazing activist and Mm -hmm. they revere him. But back then, like when he was going through it, like people hated him. Um, you know, he lost so many opportunities, he lost a lot of money, he lost titles, he -hmm. lost jobs, like that was not an easy thing. So, you know, if you think about the nineties especially, you know, we're talking about Michael Jordan, and I'm not saying this as, like, one, an excuse, but one, the league was just starting to make money then. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't have social media where you could kind of just, like, create your own brand before, Mm -hmm. you know, the league kind of made you a brand, or a big shoe deal made you a brand, so at that time, like, you really did have to adhere to contracts we got to remember a lot of these contracts have morality clauses in them where it's mm. like can't talk I'm not saying that Jordan had this but a lot of those brand contracts like had That's that true. type of stuff in there where it's like you can't talk on certain things and then like furthermore this is just my personal opinion I'm not really looking to athletes to be my social justice <laughs> hero like uh-huh. I was thinking about the Dave Chappelle where's jaw comment like uh-huh. I'm not Looking a jaw rule when somebody gets shot by a cop to be like, what are your thoughts? You know, (laughs) like like, that's a good point. It's it's cool, but they're more than an athlete. It's and that's (laughs) my thing is like that should be their decision. And even today, like I don't criticize any athletes who choose to stay quiet because Mm -hmm. if I was in their position, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of us are that are talking. Don't have as much to lose as some of these students do. So, like, people love to talk about NFL players and them not being vocal and they need to get together and all this. I'm like, we're not making the money that they make. We don't have as much to lose as they do. Okay. Because I can't imagine what it's like to be making, let's say, $85 million Mm
0: -hmm. and make you (laughs) reconsider.
2: Especially like, in a, in a league like the NFL, where your contracts aren't really guaranteed, mm. you know, like if we think about it, Colin Kaepernick, like Colin lost everything. Yeah,
0: that's a You fact. know what
2: I'm saying? So, you know, it seems like he did really well in terms of like saving and he's been able to re- re- reinvent himself. But I'm sure there were more than a couple of times where he was sitting there questioning, like, "Yo, is this shit worth it?" Like, mm. you know, because if you think about like the amount of money that he lost, the contract that he lost that he's still fighting for, like, you know, he had to go to court over that shit. That's no joke. So we can't, a lot of us like, you know, who are making a quarter of what these people are making mm-hmm. would completely fall apart if our job tomorrow told us like, yeah, you know, yeah. you can't. So, you know, I don't fault anyone. Um, I think for LeBron, I really do commend him for being vocal and, for saying what he believes in. Um, I do think that he's in a little bit of a privileged position because of, one, his star power. Mm -hmm. He is the best player in the league. The league makes a lot of money off of him, so he is in a position to be a little bit more vocal Mm -hmm. and not have any repercussions against him.
0: Yeah, he definitely Uh, leverages his power for sure. Right, and
2: exactly. So he is, you know, going back to my ally. Like, he recognizes his privilege and uses Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. for the greater good so I think that's super dope especially if you were in a position to do so Mm -hmm. um you know and he's also part of a more progressive league where you have an owner who uh, not an owner a commissioner who also supports Mm
1: -hmm. his
2: players um in their beliefs and what they say so yeah Yeah, you know that's
0: true that's that's good perspective that's that's real I I I see what you what you said saying there um, yeah shout
2: out to them <laughs> yeah <laughs> um
0: and we gotta you know we can't expect everybody to handle every situation in which you know in a matter of which we would you know what i'm saying that's not Some
2: fair don't care and to be honest i'd rather them not say something than say something stupid that so like fair. if you remember like in the beginning too lebron would say that all the time like he wasn't always this way it was after mm-hmm. he did some research and educated himself but mm-hmm. in the beginning they they asking him and he'd be like i remember one time he said like i don't know about that stuff like i'm not
0: I know, like i'm a, from worse. cleveland and i was mad as hell when in our own backyard in cleveland ohio tamir rice was shot and killed by the police and mm-hmm. Brian said nothing, like,
2: uh, bro, you played for Cleveland. How you not say, right. how you not speak on this? And he still and I think that's, wasn't that kind of like when he started to shift? Because I think it was that situation. One of the situations that happened, he had said, like, I don't know anything about that. So I'd rather not talk on it because I'm not.
0: It might have was that situation. I know he it was that... kind of vocal with the I can't breathe. And right. Because uh, the...
2: that's when he started to shift and was like, oh, let me actually do some reading. <laughs> like, yeah. Check and see what these people are
0: talking about. Yeah, it takes everybody time to, you know, everybody yeah. work on their own schedules. All right. Um, so a few more questions here. I wanted to talk about social media and the impact that it's had um on the sports business in particular. Um, like a person like yourself who's in business for herself. Do you feel as though so like I came out of undergrad in 2010? And I can remember just, like, the bright lights. I just wanted – it had to be ESPN. ESPN or die, like, or CBS or something crazy. Like, I was a CBS page, and, like, I worked for CBS Sports Network for some time. And, like, as back then, I felt like it was way different. You chased the big big, uh, companies. Whereas, you know, I'm not coming out of college now. I don't know if they have that same mindset. But I do know that a lot has changed. It's so easy to create a brand for yourself these days. Do you feel as though – that has changed the whole the the whole perspective in terms of, you know, well, I don't necessarily need ESPN or you know, if I do want if ESPN is the ultimate goal, I can create my own brand and make ESPN come to me. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. So let's I'll just be careful with that too. ESPN don't like, really
0: need to come to nobody, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's real. Well ESPN did
2: seek out Nick Wright though, so, you know. Yeah, and... that's true. That's true, that's true
0: um so yeah just how social media has changed the whole uh seeking a job
2: yeah i think number one it depends on what you want to do so obviously Mm -hmm. like if you want to be in front of the camera if you want to be a um anchor or producer or on that side of the business um you know it definitely doesn't hurt to do your own thing in the beginning, and mm-hmm. to, like really—I mean, that's pretty much what you have to do nowadays anyway. I'm not in the production world, but from family and people that I know who do work in that space, like you, kind of have to already establish yourself as like an expert before you even try to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it definitely helps. But on the your traditional business side, so like business development, advertising, all that stuff. Um, It really comes down to doing your research Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of the times when I talk to my students you know they will say to your point it's like ESPN or die or like I need to work for the MBA Mm -hmm. and a lot of them don't even know what that means Mm -hmm. Um, So, I think it's more so an awareness thing Um, you know I'm sure you were like me when you graduated from college that you didn't even know the breadth of the types of jobs that they're working in the sports Girl, industry.
0: I'm still learning. Like, oh, that's a real thing.
2: <laughs> like, we didn't know the types of companies that there were. Yeah, in this industry, um, you know. So I always tell them to do research. That's why when we work with our college students uh, for MIS, we expose them to different companies. So we'll take them on office visits. Well, they'll go visit a company like, you know, an Endeavor or. Um, you know, or on the agency side where it's not like your traditional sports agent in terms of, like, you know, uh, contract negotiation stuff. Mm -hmm. but it's like, no, there is a person here who looks like you, who works with some of your favorite athletes on all his off-the-court stuff, Mm -hmm. um, on his actual brand, and gets paid a good amount of money to do it, a company that you didn't even know existed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so... I don't necessarily like to always kind of push people away from some of those bigger companies because we do need to be in those spaces too. But I definitely do encourage them to, um, you know, kind of be open to different opportunities. And that's why we try our hardest to expose them to different companies outside of just, you know, we'll take them to the leaks too. We'll take them to like your Nikes and your ESPNs. we definitely try to expose them to some other companies so they can mm-hmm. see the breadth of jobs. Um, because when you think about, like, the bigger companies, like, those are going to be the companies where you're pigeonholed. And, mm. like, you know, if you go to a major network who's been number one for the past 40 years, like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of room to move around there because they're successful because they're a well-oiled machine. So, if mm-hmm. you can, as a coordinator in this role, like most likely that's all you're going to be doing for the next two to three years. Whereas like, if you go into, you know, a less traditional company, a newer company or something like you may be able to come in and kind of dip your toes into two or three different things Mm -hmm. uh, and really learn and grow outside of just like staying at your coordinator level role. Um, You might get more responsibility at a smaller company. So, you know, I think it's really just about doing your research, trying to figure out what you want to do, um, and definitely you know, mm-hmm. that working part too, so you can learn what a company is like from the inside out, and not just the glitz and glam of what a company, what you yeah. think a company is.
0: I think that's important. And then, you know what, that kind of answers what was going to be my next question. I was just going to ask you, you know, what's some advice or suggestions you would give for the person that's listening to this podcast that, you know, maybe is a recent college graduate or, you know, or early pro- professional or even somebody 30, 40, something that's, you know, looking to make a career change that want to get in a sports business. But uh, I guess you could say it's research, huh?
2: Research and, and networking is cliche as mm-hmm. that sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, and don't, even with networking, I always say, don't network just to network. Don't be one of those people who is like, I'm a fine VP of company X. Mm-hmm. You know, call them up to pick their brain. <laughs> Isn't that like, so let's talk a little bit about that though. The whole
0: concept of networking and people feel as though, you know, this, you, I hear this term all the time, you know, you want to make sure you're adding value. Right. So for somebody that's fresh out of school and they like, you know, well, does that mean I need to leverage my skills or the the, the, the cold email that you send in? Obviously you don't want to send the VP or whatever, but it's like this whole thing and I've been guilty of doing it before. Like Yeah, we all Hi, have I was wondering if I can take you out for coffee and possibly pick your brain. How do you do networking effectively and appropriately?
2: I would say first thing is don't, to my earlier point, don't necessarily try to get the highest person in the room. Right. But I mean, sometimes it's better to network laterally across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe talk to that person who's a coordinator because that's the role you want to be in next mm. you know, the VP is so far removed from your world, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they get 500 people hitting them up for the same thing you hitting them up for.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, we just worked with one of the leagues where they did a virtual mentor day. Um, and the majority of the mentors that they chose for our college students were all um, like coordinator and a like, early management role people okay our students the feedback from our students were like we had so much in common and Mm -hmm. i was able to like really learn what it's like Mm -hmm. so it's like for that to me you can get a more realistic view and Mm -hmm. i always tell my students too like you never know where your friends are going to be in 10 Mm -hmm. years or five years from now and Mm -hmm. how they can help you like i always talk about one of my really good friends that we started in this industry together you know i was interning he was um like his first year working for a team and like he helped me get one of my first jobs Mm. in the league. And now he's very senior at one of the leagues. And to this day, like we kind of play off each other where, you know, if I need something or if I'm interested in in doing something with that particular league, Mm -hmm. he's able to help me get that done. So, you know, but we've also known each other for, I would say, what, like 11 years now. So Mm. like we really built that relationship and we built that trust. Mm -hmm. Not just like some, you know, Mm -hmm. EVP that I met 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. like a thousand other people who were also trying to get into the industry. Um, So I think it's important to have both. Um, As a younger person, I would definitely say, try to focus more on some of the lower level people because you'd be surprised how much they could help you. Um, And they're actually going to remember you. So when it comes down to, you know, vouching for you or or getting your foot in the door, you know, they can pass a resume too.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. No, it's exactly what you just said. I think that a lot of times people can be guilty of overlooking, you know, what's right in front of them. And it's so important to network amongst your peers, you know, and then you know, you guys can grow together. You know, like you said, you never know what somebody's going to be 10 years from now, 15 years from now. And if you nourish those relationships.
2: And even like when you go on interviews too, like I always say, if you are being interviewed by someone and they have an assistant, like email that assistant, thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. For
2: setting up the meeting because you don't know the conversations that that person is having with that assistant afterwards.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: As you know, they may, bring them in to be like okay what were your thoughts on those people how are they like when they were sitting out there waiting to come in for the interview what was their interaction with you like you never know and mm-hmm. it could be that person's you know quick memory of you mm-hmm. that can push you over, yeah that can push you over other candidates so you know that's definitely something that i always tend to do is um you know i always send a thank you to an assistant mm-hmm. uh, whoever coordinated the interview whoever whatever hr person even if that HR person, you know, seems insignificant because it's like, oh, they already set up the interview. So, you know, we don't really need them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I always tend to check in and and be like, hey, just want to let you know how that interview went. And thanks again for setting it up and, and giving me some tips and advice on how to, you know, navigate that, so.
0: No, I think that's good. I think the the pull away gym for that is you know overlook no one. Everyone is somebody. You know, be 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 nice to everyone, and you know,
2: right.
0: Uh, I think that's important. Okay, we just under an hour here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. I do want to know though, um, where can people? Uh, well, I know you got a couple things coming up. I know you got the virtual happy hour coming up for MIS yeah. and the uh, the micro master class for people that's interested in MIS and getting involved. What should they do?
2: definitely you check us out on our social that is where we have um that's where we kind of post everything especially our instagram and twitter pages okay um, so that's where we have the majority of our stuff um most of our events are pretty much open to everyone the happy hours are unfortunately closed to people who work in the industry mm-hmm. um, just because we want to just kind of keep you know normalcy to that in terms of like making sure that we have people who are informed on the industry quite frankly can speak who can speak to it Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that like our our master is that is open to any and everybody we all gotta learn how to negotiate and get the bag and get you know some awesome packages that that are out there that we have no idea what they look like um, (laughs) because you know a lot of us don't come from parents who had half a million dollar packages from <laughs> job. You know what I mean? So it's like um, that's open to everybody. Uh, we're doing a free IG Live workout next week, Thursday. One of our members, Gerda Gatlin, um, is going to be doing that. She's uh, She, I think, is a referee within the NCAA system. That's dope. Uh, part-time. Uh, but she's also just a really dope athlete at her workouts. She's mm-hmm. killing it out here. So um, so she'll be hosting that free. All you got to do is go to our IG live next week, Thursday at six o'clock.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, and then we should be doing the master series throughout May and June.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, and like I said, those are open to any and everyone. I think those can go across the industry. Um, you know, like if we're doing one on sponsorships, like you don't necessarily need to work in sports
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: to learn good tools for sponsorships. Like if you mm-hmm. work in media, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should know good tools and sponsorships or mm-hmm. marketing, whatever. That's a um, fact. Yeah. So So yeah, where,
0: what's, what's the uh I'm I'm gonna put it in the show notes of course, but what's the handle for your social medias?
2: At MI Sports Biz. So like M for minority, I in sports. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well this was great. You got any last last things you wanna say? Tell us what you into or Anything you want to add? No, nah, I'm good. No? You're good? <laughs> All right, well, this has been great. I appreciate you for uh, being a guest on our episode number two. And uh, this is for the Culture Podcast.
1: She Thank is so Shana Will. Thanks. Peace and love. Thank you.